our our culture at the moment uh, is is in a pretty crazy place. It's not difficult to get into a very intense conversation rather quickly. My mother-in-law, who passed away not too long ago, um, whether she was on the airplane or in a coffee shop or maybe sitting in a doctor's room waiting, she would love to start a conversation with this statement. I love to talk about two things, religion and politics. Which one do you want to talk about? That's not my approach. I, I mean, I don't mind talking about religion. You know, I'm not even real excited about talking with people who are Mormon or JWs and getting into you know, all that kind of stuff. If you want to talk about God, cool, but not about all the other religions. But I, I, politics is not my thing, okay? So she's totally different. We all do it differently, but if you want to engage in like some rather heated conversations, pick one, right? Religion or politics? And this morning, We're going to look at a parable that, believe it or not, Jesus addresses both of those things in kind of a unique way. And uh, as we look at the parable of the fig tree, it's going to take a little bit of cultural placement for us to be able to do that. But I just want to remind us as we get started this morning, some things that Steve talked about a while ago that have to do with parables, okay? So first of all, um, as we look at parables Uh, one of the things that we need to remember is these parables are designed as one story to get across one point. Short stories illustrate a shocking spiritual truth, but it's like one truth. There's not a whole bunch of truths in there, one truth, and it's supposed to be shocking, okay? Now, often I I commented to Brenda like. I don't know if it was a week ago or two weeks ago, like, I don't understand what's shocking about this parable. Not all of them to us, again, culturally, it's hard for us to kind of place ourselves in that context and go, oh, yeah, I get why Jesus said that. This morning might be one of those things that, like, if we read it just with what we know about our culture, we go, not all that shocking. In fact, I I get it, kind of. The second one is it's, it's illuminating spiritual truths to those that, maybe are willing to listen, but if you're not willing to listen, guess what? It's going to go in one ear and out the other, and you're going to go, yeah, cool story. You're like, it's not going to mean anything. So it's, it's trying to illustrate and illuminate a spiritual truth to those who are willing to listen. Third one, it's all related to the kingdom of God in a specific situation in a specific context. So again, like we're going to spend a fair bit of time this morning looking at context because we don't have context, we might get this story a little bit twisted and think it's about something that it's not. The, the last one is we, we hopefully will lower our defenses as we listen to the story, whether it's humor or whether it's, again, the sh- like shock value or whatever it is, we'll lower our defenses so we can listen to something that might otherwise we might just dismiss. Okay, so just a reminder of those truths as we jump into this parable. I'm going to read through... Uh, Luke chapter 13, and we're going to read through the whole thing real quickly, okay, just so we can get the big picture of what we're talking about, and then we'll kind of try and break it down, okay? Luke chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. So there were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And you're already saying, I'm not sure exactly what he's talking about there. All right, we'll talk about that a little bit later. 
Verse 2, he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think they were worse sinners or offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told them this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it, and he found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. And as you read through that, um, I think there are some pretty important context things that will help us to understand what the point of this parable is, okay? Um, as we read Luke chapter 13, if you backed up just a little bit into Luke chapter 12, and Steve had a parable about that a couple of weeks ago, just a little bit of context. Again, there's a whole group of people, and, and they're, they're, Jesus has been teaching this crowd, and in verse 1, there's kind of a shift in like who, who is addressing Jesus. It says there were some present at that very time. Now, probably a better translation is there came up to him some that were present, in other words, like this is a new introduction of a different topic. It's, not, it's the same group of people, but a, a different group brings this up. And the reason that I say that, you'll see in just a second. But they bring up to him a story, and it says, There were some who were present at the very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. All right, we've got we to stop and figure out what that is, okay? There, first of all, there's no extra-biblical resource that we can go to that points to this actual event taking place. Now, Josephus is probably one of the famous historians that, that documents all the things that took place. He doesn't have anything to say about this. But the thought probably is, these Galileans went into the temple. They were ready to offer their sacrifices Pilate sends a group of people in to butcher them in the temple while they're offering sacrifices. And so their literal bodily blood is mixed with their sacrifices that they're offering to their God in the temple. Now that sounds, that sounds pretty rude. Doesn't it? Like that's down here. That's kind of low stuff for Pilate to do. But if you know anything about Pilate, you know he's not a nice guy, right? He doesn't care what you think about him. All he wants is your respect. And so the, the thought is, is, as these people bring this to Jesus, they bring it to him and they kind of expect him to say, man, that is horrible. Now here's another interesting detail. Where's Jesus from? Galilee, right? He's from Nazareth, which is in Galilee. And so obviously they're wanting him to jump on board and say, Galileans, how could this be? But again, there's, there's no extra biblical support for this. Maybe this is a story that has been made up. That never happens in times of tension, does it? 
You guys have no rumors going around about what's happened over in China or what's happening over in Iran or what's happening here in the United States or Russia or like, no rumors go around, do they? No, not at all. In fact, you know, as, as, as you hear stories and, and you say, have you checked like the facts? Do you know that to be true? Oh, to that person who asked that question, right? I mean, you, everybody just assumes your side heard the right story. And that's probably what's going on here. Again, we don't have any sort of extra biblical support for this story, that this event actually happened. And again, if Josephus, who is a great historian, heard about this, he probably would have recorded this event because this is a horrible event. But probably what's going on is these people are trying to set Jesus up. They want Jesus to side with this group of Galileans, right? Politically, what are they expecting of their Messiah? Deliver them from the Roman oppression. And so if we present this case, especially the idea that he is from Galilee, let's get Jesus to jump on board and say, this is a horrible event, let's do something. But if Jesus does that, we can report him to who? Pilate. We can let Pilate know Jesus has said, you're a horrible person. He's going to rebel. He's got a group of people. They're ready to do it at any moment, and we're done with Jesus. And so they're expecting Jesus to give this response. And in verse 2, we kind of have an interesting shift, okay? Verse 2, Jesus answered them, Do you think that these Galileans are worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? Now, they're wanting Jesus to jump on board politically, right? Let's do something about this. And Jesus kind of addresses a different issue as a bridge to what he wants to get to. And he says, no, wait a minute. Do you think these people, because they died in this way, their lives were cut short in the temple, worshiping their God, yes, that's a horrible thing, but do you think they deserve what they were getting? Like, were they worse sinners than everybody else? They're going, well, that wasn't the question we asked, but in verse 3, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now, wait a minute. We're asking about Pilate, and all of a sudden, you're shifting it to ask us about ourselves? Like, that's not why we came to you to bring this question. We wanted to get rid of a political enemy. You're asking us to address ourselves. And then Jesus goes even a little bit further in verse 4. Or those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? Now, all right. When Jesus asked about the Galileans, um, again, like Galileans were kind of typically known as kind of rebels, you know, not in a huge way, but they kind of did things against the Roman government. But they probably didn't deserve what was coming. But he's trying to address like a, a cultural thought that they had. If you do bad, you're going to get punished. If you get punished, why is it? Because you did bad, right? That's kind of what they thought. Remember the book of Job? 
his friends kept, Job, are you sure you didn't do something wrong? I'm sure I, I, I haven't done anything to offend God. Like I'm living the best I know how. Jesus is using this to get them to think just a little bit. He talks about the Galileans, and now he comes to this group in Siloam. And here's the deal. The, again, we don't really get this from just reading through the text. Around the, the outside of Jerusalem is a wall, right? And at one of the corners, there's a tower that's being built. And this tower was built by Pilate who took money from the temple treasury in order to build this tower. So Jesus is setting up for them. Okay, Galileans, like, yeah, they're, eh, they, they probably didn't get what was coming to them because they deserved it. Like, all right, let's leave that aside for a minute. What about these people? These people are siding with Pilate. They're building his tower with money that he took from the temple. And so now this, this tower falls on them. They got what they deserve, right? They're siding with the enemy. And what does Jesus say? He says, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Get what's going on here? They're coming wanting to be national heroes, saying, Jesus, here's a, here's a, a guy that is trying to oppress us. We need to do something about it. Will you help us? And Jesus shifts it to begin to have them look at themselves and say, all right, don't worry about Pilate. Let's put him on the back burner for a minute. Where are you in relation to God? You know, I, I think sometimes we tend to think about ourselves as we're on this side and they're on that side and we got to be good because we're on this side and they got to be bad because they're on this side. And Jesus is trying to help them to see, like, we're not good or bad because of which side we're on. We need to be in a right relationship with God. And the response of Jesus is repent or you too will perish. He's not trying to get at here, if you don't repent, you're going to die just like they died. You're going to die in the temple with your sacrifices or you're going to die under a tower He's saying, these people did not know at the moment they were going to die, my time's up. And they didn't have any more chances to repent. He's wanting them to, to recognize the fact that they have today, but they're not guaranteed tomorrow. And so he's trying to get them to see this story in a little bit different picture. I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. They thought they were fighting for justice, right? Here are some sinners that need to be taken care of. He was saying, wait a minute, what, what about you? And no wonder Jesus was crucified. Again, as they're, they're teaching through this stuff in the Middle East, and again, they get the cultural context of what's going on here. A lot of them say at, at the end of this story, it's no wonder the Jews didn't get killed right here and right now. Because as he relates to this, he doesn't address Pilate. He doesn't say, yes, let's overthrow this government. Let's take care of this. He says, what about you? But I want you to understand that as Jesus talks about this, he's not trying to condemn them. And I think, again, we'll, we'll see this as we work our way through. He's not trying to make them feel horrible so that they don't do anything 
He's saying this because he loves them. He's saying this because he cares about them. Scripture tells us that Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but that through the world, or through him, the world might be saved. As he says this, all he's trying to get them to do is to think, maybe I need to rethink my circumstances. Maybe I need to rethink my relationship with God. And so as, as we continue to, to read through the story, at verse 6, it says he tells them this parable. Again, the parable is trying to illustrate this one main point, okay? He told them a parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up ground? All right, and again, I, I think we need to know a little bit of cultural background for us to be able to understand this, okay? Isaiah chapter 5 tells us another parable, Old Testament, about a vineyard. And it's very clear in that parable, if you want to do some reading on your own, that parable, the vineyard, the whole ground, represents the nation of Israel, okay? There's no reason to think that Jesus takes what these listeners would understand from their Old Testament text as representative of the nation of Israel any differently than they would right here, okay? So he's not taking one thing and making it different. Let's take the vineyard as the nation of Israel right here in this passage, okay? But there's a New Testament one that I want us to look at as well. Luke chapter 20, just a little further in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 20. Beginning in verse 9, tell another story, okay? Verse 9, it says, and he began to tell the people this parable. And he goes on to talk about a vineyard and a man planting a vineyard. Jump down to verse 19. Verse 19 says, the scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he told this parable against who? The religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, as, as you, um, if, if you know much about gardening, I guess, in, in the Middle East, like we, when we think of vineyard, all we think of are grapes, right? Vineyards in the Middle East also contained, especially in the corner, some of these fig trees. It wasn't uncommon for vines producing grapes to be right alongside of fig trees. This idea here is not like out of the norm for them to be hearing there's a fig tree in the garden that is meant mostly to be grapes. But I want you to see here in, in Luke chapter 20, as he talks about the vineyard, he is addressing in particular a group of people who are religious leaders. Okay, that's going to be kind of important as we go back to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13, it's, as he's telling this parable, he says, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. All right, nothing uncommon about that. They could relate to that. And he came seeking fruit on it, and he found none. Now, again, we know from Old Testament, you get three years without having to expect any kind of fruit on the tree. Right? First couple of years, what is it going to do? It's going to grow up, right? You don't have to expect anything major out of the tree, right, Merle? Nothing out of the tree after you first plant it. Okay. Year four, 
is the first year that you should expect fruit from the tree. And year four, that first harvest is a harvest that belongs to God. It's given to him as a first fruits. That's where that idea comes from. So year number four, you can expect a harvest. This owner says, I've come to this vineyard and I've looked at this fig tree year four, year five, year six, and I've still got nothing. So what does he say to do with this fig tree? Our translation says, cut it down, right? And when we hear cut it down, what do we think of when we hear cut it down? Right? That's what we think of when we hear cut it down. That's not the idea here. The idea is dig it up, dig it all up, get rid of everything. We bought our property, uh, we've got five acres, and I don't know what the guy was thinking when he, you guys heard about this before, but instead of getting rid of everything in the, in the tree, he would cut it down, and there'd be a stump left, and we had stumps all over the property. How am I supposed to mow over stumps, right? So you know what I do, I get out the tractor, and we get, you know, chainsaw out, and we get all kinds of equipment out, dig out the roots, cut them all off. Pull it up and get rid of everything. Why? Because stuff doesn't grow around the stump. It's still, even though a lot of it's dead for a while, it's still taking up valuable resources. And that's the idea here. He says, dig it all up. Why should it use up the ground? What I want you to see is this owner doesn't just care about this one tree. All right? This owner cares about the whole vineyard. He said, this one tree is taking up all of the resources that all the rest of this crop, the vineyard, can have. Now, again, talking with Merle, he's told me a couple of times, hey, if you don't get rid of the stuff that you don't want, the stuff that you want isn't going to grow, right? Because it's taking up all the rest of the, the resources that are in the ground and it's going to places that you don't want it to go to. So get rid of all the moss that's in your, next to your apple trees. The moss is still there, taking up all the resources, you know. He says, get rid of this. Dig it up. We can't have this in our vineyard. For three years, I have found no fruit. Now, if this is aimed at religious leaders, we're going to see the, the uniqueness of this story in just a second, all right? It's in a vineyard which Old Testament says it's the nation of Israel, but he's aiming at one particular audience probably, and that would be the religious leaders. And so in verse 8, he answers with a kind of a little bit of a sarcastic response. He answers him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on a word that we would call manure, right? You don't use this word in religious circles, okay? This word was not something that they had ever heard anybody. In fact, it's the only time that it's used in the New Testament. And probably as, again, the listeners are hearing this and they're kind of having in their mind who it's addressing, Jesus says, we're going to throw some poop on it. They're going, ah, yeah, we probably should. <laughs> let's, uh, let's see how much we can throw on it. 
He could have used all kinds of other words, right? He could have said, hey, I'm going to fertilize it. I'm going to water it. I'm going to prune it. I'm going to do all kinds of other things. But he said, let's do that to it. And as they listen, they probably get a little bit of a chuckle. He answers, sir, let alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. And here's the thing that I want you to see. In the middle of what should be judgment, there is hope. What should happen to this tree? Like it's been around for six years, producing no fruit. And we're coming up to the seventh year. Merle, what would you do with a tree like that? Cut it down and, and dig it out, of course, in our culture. <laughs> you cut it down, right? That's what it deserves. It's not producing fruit. But in the middle of what should be expected, there's this little glimmer of hope. He says, hey, wait a minute. Let alone this year also until I dig around it, put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit, and, and the term here, in our, again, our English Bible says next year. Let's, real quick, uh, let's look at 1 Timothy 6, 19. 1 Timothy 6, 19, just so you don't think I'm making this up. 1 Timothy 6, 19. The verse says, Thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. That's the same Greek word here, the future. So back in Luke chapter 13, if we are talking about something that I'll mention here in just a second, if we're talking about something that doesn't have an end to it, then if it should bear fruit in the future, it's going to take on a little bit of different context, okay? If it should bear fruit in the future, well and good, but if not, Again, you can dig it up. You can get rid of it. Now, growing up, this is, this is where some of you guys, um, if you really want to learn Scripture, like, like really learn from it, my wife and I were talking about this yesterday. I have to teach a class on it or something because you've got to dig in and you've got to find out what really is meant by all this stuff. And it, it God is really, you know, this has been fun this week. It's different than workshop. But anyways, that's a side note. If you ever want to teach a class, let me know. We'll give you an opportunity. Um, but one of the things that I think as we, as we look at this context, um, I, growing up, I used to think this story was about God the Father, who is the mean, harsh judge. And he's just waiting to be mean. And he's looking down at all of us saying they deserve to go to hell. Then along comes Jesus, and he's the, the, the keeper of the vineyard. And he says, no, no, wait a minute. They deserve another chance. And he kind of changes God's mind, and they decide, okay, we're going to wait a little while longer, and then everything turns out as it should. And I always wondered, you know, why is God the Father the mean guy and Jesus the really nice guy? And then this week as I was studying um, one of the guys that I was reading through said, you know, I, I'm not sure that that's what's going on here. Because again, our parable is what? It's like one big point. We're not meant to say this relates to this and this relates to this and this relates to this. It's like one main point. And he said, what if this is to represent God's justice and the struggle between God's justice and his mercy? 
God's justice says, here's what I've seen for three years. I've seen no fruit. Let's cut it down. God's mercy says, give us some more time. I'll tend to it. I'll make sure it has all the resources it needs, but continue to give it grace. Continue to give it. What did, what did Steve say, mercy man, a couple weeks ago? Not giving what it deserved, right? This, is, this tree deserves to be removed. And God's mercy is saying, no, give it some more time. Let's not give it what it deserves. Now, here's the thing. God is a God of justice is a God who will follow through with judgment. But that's not all God is. And some people want to spend a whole bunch of time focusing on that and say, this is who God is. There's this other side of God that is merciful, who does, that does not give us what we deserve, that withholds it so that he can continue to give us the resources that we need so that we come into relationship with him. But that's not all God is. He is a God of justice and a God of mercy. And those two work together in our lives for our good. There's another thing that I want us to see. It takes a response to God's mercy in order for God's justice not to have to follow through. God's mercy will give us the resources we need. He will woo our hearts. He will take the word of God. He will let us know it. But at the end of the day, it's our responsibility to respond to what God's doing or else there will be a day where his justice says that's the end. I'm not going to keep letting it happen because I care about all the rest of the vineyard. And as these people are listening to this, and again, uh, just uh, real quick, verse 9, how does... In understanding then it should if it should bear fruit in the future as opposed to next year help in this kind of balance between justice and mercy well if it's God's mercy that's continued like there's no end point to it until justice has to take place there can be you know for some of us it might be six months for some of us it might be three years but there is a there will be a time where God's justice says, if not, cut it down. Put the story back in context. These people come to Jesus. They've got a political situation that they want to address. And Jesus turns it on them and says, let's forget about politics for a minute. Where are you? in your relationship with God. We didn't, we didn't come to you for that. And then Jesus shares this parable for them to see, like it's not about politics, and it's not about religion. It's about where you are in response to the mercy of God. See, these people who, who died unexpectedly, whether it was the people in the temple or whether it was the people who were building the tower, they died unexpectedly, not knowing how long they had to go. And this tree was continuing to be shown mercy, mercy, mercy. Doesn't know when it time's up, but there will be a time where if, if it doesn't bear fruit, that owner will say, let's dig it up, let's get rid of it. And I think at the end of the day, 
You know, we often think we've got more time, don't we? How many of you guys like me did taxes this week, <laughs> right? I, I knew at the beginning of the year I should be doing taxes, but I've got so many other things to do. You know, we've got babies coming, we've got weddings happening, we've got all kinds of stuff. I can put it off. Even though I knew at the end of the day, hopefully, I mean, I kind of had an idea because I knew how much I was paying, that's going to be a good thing when I finish my taxes. I'll get some benefit from that. But I kept putting it off, putting it off until I couldn't put it off anymore. But you know, some of us are like that with God, aren't we? We know we should be doing something. We know it could be very valuable to us. But we got so many other things that call for our attention. Ah, I'll put that off for a while. I'll put that off for a while. And God's mercy continues to, to kind of say, Lauren and, and all the rest of us, hey, I need you to focus over here. Oh, I, I, got some, I got some time. And as long as we are here, guess what? We do have time. We have mercy. But there's going to be a day. None of us knows when that is, where that time for mercy comes up and God's judgment will take place if we have not responded. So here's the application. I think often we think if we're on the right side of politics, or we're on the right side of religion, we belong to the right church, we're good. You say repentance is necessary for all. I know in, in this church I'm, I'm kind of standing on shaky ground here because politics is important to us. I'm not saying that politics does not matter. God does care about political oppression. God does care about religious oppression. But that's not the thing that matters to him the most. And that's not what Jesus is addressing here. Sometimes we think because we are on this side of politics and someone else is on this side of politics, we're good and they're the enemy. Jesus would say, that's not the way it is. Sometimes as well, you know, I mean, we had a great service last week. Nothing wrong with a great service. But sometimes we, we think because we preach the Bible, we have a good attendance, we maybe have a prayer meeting, whatever it is, or we belong to this group, hey, I'm good because I go to this church. Jesus is trying to get these religious leaders to see it doesn't even matter if you're a religious leader you need to repent and I think his message today for us would be that repentance is necessary regardless of our political or religious affiliation every single one of us needs to know individually that we are in right relationship with God his mercy is continuing to give us time, continuing to give us resources, to continue, continuing to give us everything that we need so that we come to an understanding of our need for Him. Repentance is saying, I'm going to turn from this and I'm going to go the other direction. And I, as Jesus shares this with the crowd, again, they're expecting Him to jump on board politically. He says, right, look, let's hold off on the political thing. Let's talk spiritual." morning. Jesus is not as interested in our political party or our spiritual activity as he is where our heart is with him. Um, one of the things that I have written down, and I try to come back to it fairly regularly, is this thought. 
Our heart makes commitments, and our will makes decisions based on those commitments. Here's what I mean by that. My heart can make a commitment to him, and because I've made that commitment to him, my will will say, okay, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this. But if my heart says, hey, I really want to pursue money, and we've talked through some of this with the parables, right? All the things that our heart wants to make commitments to. If I make a commitment to something other than God, then guess what? My will will continue to make commitments to whatever my heart has made a commitment to. It will make decisions based on that commitment, even though I say, I don't understand why I did that. You know why you did it? Because your heart is committed to that. So what I want you to think through this morning is, what is my heart committed to? Am I committed to just a, a political affiliation? Am I committed to my church? Am I committed to my job? I mean, some of those things look good on the outside, but he wants to know, is your heart committed to him? Have you said, I'm going to turn from all this other stuff over here, and I'm going to go in a different direction? Have you given him your heart? If you're new to church, and, and this giving him your heart stuff sounds a little weird, here's something that I want you to think about. Up until this point, you have been living for yourself. You call the shots, you make the decisions, you decide what's good for you. And the Bible says that all of that stuff leads us away from a God who created us. He wants us to understand that we have sinned, that we have offended a holy God, and that we need to confess our sin to him and say, yes, I have offended you. I wouldn't need you to forgive me. But we stand empty-handed. That's what happened last weekend. Jesus took our place on the cross in order that that debt might be paid so that we can say, all right, God, I need you to forgive me. I can't do it on my own, but Jesus paid the price. I'm going to put all of my hope and my trust in what Jesus did on the cross so that my heart can be committed to you alone. I'm going to turn from all of that, and I'm going to give my heart to you. It's like a literal, physical, beating heart. It's what we commit ourselves to. I'm committing myself to you. If you've never done that, and you've never said, I confess my sin, I ask Jesus to forgive me, and I want to give you my heart. You can do that on your own. You can ask somebody who came with you this morning. Uh, maybe talk to your parents, whatever it is. But when Jesus says, is when you do that, to those who believe in his name, he gives the right to become the children of God. He gives you eternal life from that moment on. If you've never done that, do it this morning. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior already, maybe you've been going through the motions. Maybe you've been coming to church and you're all excited because, you know, good things are happening here. But, man, you leave this place on Sunday and you don't ever think of God all the rest of the week. Coming here doesn't make any difference to God. He doesn't care where to go to church to some degree. I mean, he cares that the church is preaching the word of God, but he's not impressed that you go to church. Just like Jesus wasn't impressed with the religious leaders of the day because they were teaching the Bible. He wanted to know, hey, where are you in relationship with me? This week as well, one more thing. Again, 
Sometimes we tend to view others who are on the other side, whatever that looks like, whether it's politics or whether it's religion or whatever it is, as, as the enemy. Maybe this week we need to see them not as the enemy. And it's not that you can't discuss those things, but understand those people are being given mercy as well. Those people are seeing yet another day where it's an opportunity to share the gospel with them. And sometimes if we just blurt out our own thoughts about politics and we focus our attention on that, we will never have the opportunity to speak the gospel to them. His mercy wants to give them a message. That tree's not getting cut down yet. And as you go out this week and you see people maybe who are on the other side, view them as people whom God is giving mercy so that he might bear fruit through their lives. He's looking to see them come to know Jesus as their Savior. So don't view them as the enemy. View them as somebody that God's at work in their lives. He's cultivating around them. He's trying to help them to understand their need for him and join God in what he's doing in that. You know, last week we had some cards and it said uh, Easter. And some of you guys said it was really helpful. We've got some new cards printed up that don't say anything about Easter. It just says join us Sunday. Because what we want to do is give you the opportunity to make what we do here at PCVC, not just about an event like Easter, but a regular like culture of invitation, an opportunity to invite people that you walk past their house every day, hand them a car, say, hey, join us some Sunday. Uh, people that you work with, neighbors, whatever. So those are back there on the table. Make use of them. Make sure that you see the people that you come in contact with as people who need Jesus as their Savior. As well, there's uh, on on. Online, there's a sermon supplement to get you to continue to think through this. You can make a use of that throughout the week. We've had a couple of groups now who are gathering together to discuss the sermon supplements, and we're excited about that. By the way, one of those groups is Martin Pettit. I don't know if you've heard yet, but Martin had a stroke this week. And uh, so um, Jim Isaacson is taking his group, and that's what they're doing. They're taking the sermon supplement for a little while until Martin can get back on his feet. But pray for Martin and his family. Um, but, yeah, th that opportunity is, is there, as well as, again, if there's a Connect card in front of you digitally and at the back table. If you need some more information, we'd love to help you to know how you can move forward in your journey with Christ. Again, I think as we're summarizing what Jesus is saying through this parable, he wants you. He doesn't want religious activity. He doesn't want political, Ill, political affiliation. He wants your heart. He wants you, and he's continuing to give you opportunities. So, like, no matter where you're at with him, like, this week, know that he wants you to pursue him above everything else, okay? Let's close with the word of prayer. God, thank you so much for your word. Uh, thank you for the time that you've spent with me this week studying for this. And God, I pray that these folks, as they leave here, would be able to continue to, to pursue you. God, may your spirit continue to help us to understand this parable and to understand what we need to know from it. God, we recognize that the people who heard it first would have understand, understood it way better than we do. But God, we know that your spirit is there to help us to grasp what we need to know so that we might reflect Jesus as we live our lives. So God, help us this week. Thank you for being willing to accept us when we repent and for the forgiveness that you offer through Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray.